know what it takes to move good to great? Are you almost where you need to be but not quite there yet? Find your way to success today. Welcome to the James Stentley Show with Dr. James Stentley. We've got the tips and guidance you need to propel your success to the next level. Now, here's your host, Dr. James Stentley. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back uh, out there in Voice America land and Facebook land as well. Uh, this is James Dentley, guys. Welcome to the James Dentley Show. And remember, uh, here, not us, we don't think outside the box, buddy, because in our world, there is no box. I am delighted to have a dear friend back on the show. Uh, he got a chance to share with us a couple of weeks ago and only for about 20 minutes. But I definitely wanted to have him for the full hour because he deserves it with the impact that he's made, not just in the world, but personally in my life watching this gentleman uh, glide with, with character and grace and to find and listen to his life story, see it on the big screen. I couldn't be even uh, more excited to have uh, my dear friend, Mr. Frank Shankowitz with us, the founder of Make-A-Wish Foundation. Frank, welcome to the show. Oh, James, and thank you for the invite. I really appreciate it. Well, man, it's my pleasure and honor to get you anytime I can. And we were just talking about COVID-19. That's what everybody's talking about right now. Uh, when I woke up this morning, I woke up to the news that uh, a couple of people I knew had passed away. That means that's four. And you mentioned out in Arizona, you don't have very many cases right now. Is that right? Well, where I live, up in the mountains in northern Arizona, uh, and the county that we live in is the bigger than the state of New Jersey. In fact, it's the same size as Massachusetts. But we only have 250,000 people total in this mass county. And we have right now 61 cases is all and only one unfortunate death. But that was a very elderly woman in one of the care homes who had the compromising issues anyhow. But down in the Phoenix area, which is 5 million people, it's like the other big cities where they've got uh, several hundred cases and a, I think about 50 deaths related. But again, nothing like you're experiencing on the East Coast whatsoever. Yeah, and you know, here in Chicago, it's been pretty rough, and we got snow today. But you're no stranger to snow. You live in the mountains. You live up there close to the God. <laughs> <laughs> and and we sent that snowstorm to you because we got that a couple of days ago. So well, well, I can send it to the east. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. You have confused my landscaper. <laughs> Well, look, you know what? In times like this, you know, making a difference in troubled times is the theme of the show today. And, you know, challenges will always be part of our life. You know, Jim Rohn said it best. It's not the blowing of the wind. It's the set of the sail because the wind, the wind blows on, all, on us all. And, you know, when you look at Make-A-Wish Foundation and the work you do right now, which you committed your life to, you know, um, there would be no need for nonprofit organizations or uh, organizations of support if there weren't challenges in the world. I think it really brings out uh, the true testament of our humanity and our, and our true heart, the true character of who we truly, truly are, uh, our own brothers and sisters keeper. So I want our audience to know a little bit more about you. We've got the full hour. And if, if you mind, I want you to just share a little bit about your story. Some of them now, first of all, the movie The Wish Man, you can go to Netflix and watch it. I want to encourage you to go see The Wish Man and Netflix and you watch the movie. It's a powerful movie. But the I want you to get a preview or trailer here. So, Frank, can you share a little bit about uh, your story growing up? Because I want people to see how someone who comes from humble beginnings can impact the world and do great things. Well, and, and I was born in the 40s in Chicago. And uh, I don't think my story is that 
unusual, but apparently Hollywood did because they wanted to make this movie. Uh, born in Chicago, and at age two, my mother divorced my father, uh, left. We never knew where she went. Uh, even in later years when we reconnected, she never told me where she went. Uh, age two to five, very happy times. Living with my grandparents during the day, my dad in the week, aunt, uncles, cousins, picnics, family dinners. I mean, just all I can remember was laughter and happy times. In uh, kindergarten, I was on playground during recess. A later lady grabbed me, said, I'm your mother. You're going with me. I had no idea who this lady was, kicking wow. and dragging and screaming and threw me in a car. And she said, uh, we're going to Arizona. Now, in kindergarten, we hadn't been to geography yet, so I didn't know where Arizona was. <laughs> but she said, it's where the cowboys and Indians are, and you're going to like that. And so, on. But again, I had no idea who this lady was trying to get out, a couple smacks on the head, shut you down real quick. And she took a strange route to Arizona. We, she went up to northern Michigan on the Upper Peninsula above Escanaba and pulled into a campground right on the shore of Lake Michigan. And she said, this is our new home. And wow. you're going to have so much fun camping. Now, I'm a city kid. I don't know anything about camping. All of a sudden, we're living in a tent, uh, a cot. I mean, it's cold. Uh, and she had got a lot of uh, World War II surplus for the tent, the cots, the stove, and so on. But for the next five years, it was living in that tent, living in old flop houses when the storms came, living in the car. Food was always an issue. Survival was always an issue. And I was on my own, basically, that whole time. My mother is working at nighttime. She goes wherever she's going. So I just started learning self-survival. But my, uh, when I was 10 years old, my father found us. He'd been looking all these years. And went into the town to get the local sheriff to arrest her. And that short time, she threw everything we had in an old Jeep station wagon and said, we're going to Arizona now. And mm -hmm. now I knew where Arizona was. I mean, I knew what was going on. But it took six weeks to get to Arizona um, because uh -huh. she kept running out of money. She'd go from one town. She had no money whatsoever. She'd get a job as a waitress, uh, get enough tip money to get a loaf of bread, some bologna, where I was sleeping in the car all the time, and get to the next town to get some gas, and then another job, another job. Took all that long time to get there. Mm -hmm. Just outside of a little town called Sligman, Arizona, on Route 66. And if anybody saw the Disney animated feature Cars, uh, Radiator Springs was modeled after Sligman, Arizona. <laughs> just, uh -huh. this, just this little town of 500 people, uh, predominantly a railroad uh, town, uh, ranches all around there, Indian reservations surrounding. We're just out of town. She ran out of gas. And it's the first time in those five years I ever saw my mother cry. And I said, what's wrong? She said, I have no money. We have no gas. We have no food. We don't have anything. Everything is gone. I don't know what I'm going to do. Just then a rancher stopped by. What's going on? She explained the situation. He said, stay here. I'm going to get a gas can. And then you follow me. You can stay at our ranch house until we can get you settled, get you maybe a job in this little town, which had several restaurants and motels because it was on Route 66. So for the next uh, six weeks, again, our home was in the, uh, our bedroom was on the kitchen floor in the little rancher's house, just a small place. He had two children himself, but at least we had shelter. And uh, especially breakfast now, I'm a big fan of biscuits and gravy. <laughs> and the rancher's wife, Every morning was business and gravy. I mean, all of a sudden, that was great food. But at 10 years old, uh, I got a full-time job as a dishwasher in one of the local restaurants. And my mother got a job as a motel maid. 
And as I'm working one day, I'm looking across the street and I see a Mexican gentleman building something. And I just out of curiosity, I go over and say, uh, what are you doing? And he says, what's your name, kid? And I said, Frank. And he said, no, you're not. It's from now on, your name is Poncho, meaning mm-hmm. Frank in, in Spanish. Mm-hmm. And then he said, grab a hammer, kid. And I looked at him and I had never had this father figure. I, I never had anybody to show me what to do. I said, I, I don't know what to do with a hammer. I don't know what to do with a saw. He said, well, I'm going to teach you. And when you help me build this, I'm going to, this was a, it's called a snow cap, which is like a Dairy Queen. And he said, when we finish this, I'm going to give you the first hamburger and the first milkshake. <laughs> so that was a good incentive to work for. And Juan became my father figure. He became my mentor. He taught me so much. He taught me, first of all, work ethic. He taught me how to build character, integrity. He got me introduced in later years to sports, to music, everything, pushing my education in this little school. Yeah. And he said one time to me, Frank, when you can give back. Now, this is in the 50s, James. That's not a popular term then like it is now. Juan, what do you mean give back? The poor people are helping us. And he said, you don't have to have money to give back. You can give back your time. And he gave an example. Look at Mrs. The Widow Sanchez. She's always trying to help you, you and your mom by bringing you beans and tortillas to help you out with food. Look at her front yard. It's a mess. It's full of weeds. Look at her porch. It needs rebuilding. It needs sanding, painting. You know how to do that now. You can do that. You can give back by giving your time. And I just always remembered that lesson. And then in seventh grade, uh, and we had obtained an old travel trailer, an old wreck travel trailer that now became our home. Uh, the unfortunately it didn't have uh, plumbing uh, or hot water or even a shower that worked, but at least it was covered and had heat in it. And up in Seligman, very cold. It's up in the mountain area, uh, so cold winters. And the, in fact, the boys, because it was a railroad town, could go to the uh, um, station master there, and he would allow us to use the locker rooms to wash, clean, so on. So, well, I was really the cleanest kid in town, <laughs> all the hot water, but. I came home one day from work in seventh grade. I see this little trailer being hooked up to a pickup. I go to my mom, what's going on? She says, I can't afford you anymore. So I'm moving. She says, you're making more money than I am right now. And I just can't afford you anymore. And all of a sudden my home goes down the road. Now I go to Juan uh, and obviously I'm kind of devastated. I mean, what am I going to do? Now, hold hold on, wait a minute, Frank, hold on. Uh, You know, I I saw the movie and some parts, you know, know, when you see a movie, you don't know which parts are actual or which may be sensationalized <laughs> just a little bit. But you started off saying that your mom left and then a woman picked you up from school in kindergarten and says, I'm your mom. Right. And and then you're supposed to go to Arizona. You're in Michigan. Right. In trouble with the law. You finally make it six weeks later to Arizona with no money, no place to stay. She's devastated. Um, how did she choose you? How did she become your mom? Well, she was, in fact, my mother. Okay, all right. She was, yeah, she was, in fact, my mother. Okay. And and she wanted to keep me away from my father, as it shows in the movie. Now, I remember, James, the movie is based on a true story. Okay. <laughs> Hollywood embellishes a little bit. So, <laughs> you got to, in, in fact, you have to read the book, Wish Man, <laughs> for the true story. That's what inspired the movie. But anyhow, I go to Juan. I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. He said, I know what happened. He said, I've arranged with the widow Sanchez that you're going to live with her. And she's going to charge you $20 a a week room and board. You make $26 a week. Everything I ever made went to my mother. 
He said, for the first time in your life, you're going to have $6 on your own. And to a kid in the 50s, that's a lot of money. Yeah. And he said, always remember, again, this is a popular term today, but not in the 50s. Always get that positive to yeah. a, that negative to a positive. Turn that. And I said, well, and he said, that's a positive. He said, for the first time in your life, you're going to have your own bedroom. You're going to have indoor plumbing. She's the best cook in town. There was no arguing about that. I mean, I don't have to worry about meals anymore. Uh, and I, the biggest positive, she got the first television set in Seligman, Arizona. <laughs> the Mickey Mouse Club and so on. Yeah. So, yeah. But again, that I learned all those negatives to a positive. And I just kept that lesson my whole life. And then it continued when I uh, graduated eighth grade. My mother came back to me. I need you to go to the little town like where I live in right now, Prescott, Arizona. I can't afford. I need your help. I need you to get a full-time job to help support me. And Juan always told me, he said, no matter what your relationship with your mother is, she is your mother and you will respect her. Mm. And, and I remembered that lesson again my whole life. So I went to this little town again in Prescott where we live. It's up in the mountains. And now people are helping me out again because uh, I tried out for football and freshman football. And I had practiced football in Seligman. They didn't have a junior or Pop Warner type thing. But the coaches allowed me to practice with the team, even though I couldn't play. And a coach there in Prescott said, uh, you're going to make first string because we're in spring training. And he found out that I couldn't pass a math test. Mm. And they were going to want to put me back in eighth grade. And the coach says, I'm going to work with you all summer on uh, tutoring on math. And at the end of the season, we'll take the test. Well, he did that. I got passed. I got the first string on the team. But again, here's somebody helping me out. And all through high school, my employers, my teachers, always helping out. And I just remembered that. Wow. And then after high school, I joined the Air Force. Okay. I wanted to go to college. I obviously didn't have the money. There's most things, student loans at that time. But a very great decision to join the Air Force. Uh, four years during the Vietnam era. I was not in country. I was not a combat veteran. But uh, stationed in England. majority of my four years stationed in England. And again, Juan taught me something about always be, always respect yourself, show pride, always be the best you can be, like an army saying, uh, stand up straight, stand tall. And during the Air Force, I went what they call Air Police. And now I think it's called Security Forces. But uh -huh. when I got over in England, my sergeant and my lieutenant saw something special and asked me to try out for the base honor squad. Uh, there was only three selected, and I was one of them selected. Mm -hmm. And that meant so much to me because I had studied uh, European and uh, Pacific War history so much, and I was a big fan of Sir Winston Churchill. Yeah. And when Winston Churchill died, I was selected to be on the final leg of his honor guard. Uh, such an honor to me for the, this gentleman passing by, standing in attention, wow. fear coming down on my eye, but just, just such an honor. And again, that's because people saw something in me that helped develop. Yeah. And then following the Air Force, uh, Motorola in Phoenix, Arizona, was looking for people with top secret clearance, which I had. And even though, I, and this is during the development of the Atlas Missile Program. Mm -hmm. And even though I didn't have an engineering degree, now this is kind of funny, James. This is in the mid-60s, the days of sex, drugs, rock and roll, the hippie bands, everything else. And the majority of the engineers coming out of college could not pass a background check because of drug usage. Yeah. 
Well, they, okay. they couldn't go to work for these things. It's a government contracts if they had any type of a negative in their background investigation. So that's why Motorola came and looked for us. And in fact, use our GI Bill to send us to college, develop us into engineers. And with the surprise of my uh, high school math teachers, I ended up in statistical engineering, <laughs> determining the probable failure rate of certain components on the Atlas missile. And a great job at Motorola. I, I worked there for seven years. It, uh, I've never, it's the first in my life I had so much money, new car, got to get a new home, uh, got married. Um, just a great job, but I'm living in the city. I didn't really like it. Now I'm a, I'm a country guy. Yeah. And several of my friends had joined Arizona Highway Patrol from high school. And they kept saying, Frank, with your background in engineering, with your uh, military experience, you'd be a perfect fit for the patrol. I said, guys, I make in one week what you make in a month. I'm just not going <laughs> to give up that type of salary. But I got more and more. I just, I, it was like I said, I wasn't unhappy per se. I just didn't like the lifestyle I was living at that time. And on a whim, I put in an application for there as a highway patrol. And there were 1,000 applicants, and they were choosing 50. And again, the majority were rejected because of they couldn't pass a drug background check. And I was the one of 50 selected. I said, okay, let's do this. Went to the academy. Probably the best decision I ever made in my life because 42 years later, I finally retired. So, so well, before we go on, we got to take a quick commercial break. We're going to yeah. pay a few bills and, and come back. And we're going to pick back up uh, as you went to the highway patrol. Because now I'm putting together the movie with the life and all that. And you were going to be here on the 26th. We were going to have like 100 books out here so everybody can get books. And we'll do that once we can gather once again. We're going to take a quick commercial break. We're going to be back with Frank Shankwitz, the founder of Make-A-Wish Foundation. And uh, just a great friend, great humanitarian. And I want to know how you became an honorary commander of the uh, Air Force 161. Uh, refueling station as well. So we got a lot to talk about. We'll be right back in just about a minute. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com As we age, there are certain situations which we all must face. Care and treatment don't always measure up to what it's supposed to be, and there are many questions that need to be answered. Tune in to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy with hosts Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. Seniors deserve to have a more fulfilling life, and we'll bring you the answers that you need to hear to make it happen. Listen Mondays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Empowerment. If you are ready to be inspired, energized, and entertained, you've come to the right place with our two life-changing programs at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Listen for our lifestyle show, Star Style, Be The Star You Are, with our host, Cynthia Bryan. Then on Sundays at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern, Teens Talk and the World Listens on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Play with with us at be the star you are radio.com and the voice america empowerment channel find out what makes the most successful people tick keep listening to the voice america empowerment channel voice america empowerment.com
You're tuned in to The James Stentley Show. We'd love to hear from you via email with questions and comments. Drop us a line to JD at thejamesdentleyshow.com. Again, that's JD at thejamesdentleyshow.com. Now, back to the show. Hey, first of all, welcome back, you guys. And I want everybody just to get ready, get ready, because you're going to see a lot of premieres because we're launching the JD3 TV network. And we're actually going to have our own streaming TV network. We'll have our shows. We'll have a great platform. Uh, we're going to inspire. We're going to entertain. We're going to have a lot of fun with it, but people are going to learn and be able to tune into some quality, quality programming. And each and every one of you that have a story, we're looking uh, for your story. So don't forget, and I'll just keep looking out for you. You'll see the logo, JD3 TV. Now we're back with Frank Shankwitz, the founder of Make-A-Wish Foundation, and we're going to go into uh, the foundation and, and everything that it does and who, who they've been helping and some great examples. Some people we both know, like my friend Nicholas. But Frank, you were talking about going into um, uh, into the highway patrol. So finish that story. Yeah, and and uh, after graduating from the academy, I was sent down to Yuma, Arizona as a car officer. And uh, Yuma, Arizona is right on the California-Mexican border. And I continued my college courses down there. And one of the uh, coaches came up one day, football coach, and introduced himself. And he says, I know your coach from high school. And he said, have you ever heard of Special Olympics? And I said, well, coach, no, I haven't. I don't know what that is. And he explained the program to me, working with these children. And he said, I'd really like to get you to get involved, to uh, help teach you one of these, these children, the football throw, which is one of the things, baseball throw, shooting hoops, and so on, in your spare time. And I said, well, coach, that sounds like fun. And going back to Juan, he always said, told me, um, when you can, just help somebody out. Pay back. Give back. And I started working with these kids, had so much fun with these children. And I started thinking, Juan, I think I'm finally starting all, all these years to finally give back. And then in uh, shortly after going down to Yuma, uh, our commanders called me and said, we are starting a 10-man motorcycle unit a tax squad that's going to work the whole state of Arizona. Mm -hmm. And we would like you to apply for motor school. To, and if you pass, we'd like to assign you to that, that squad. And I thought, well, now that sounds like a lot of fun. I love motorcycles. I've been riding a long time. Uh, went through the course, very strenuous course, uh, passed and got on that squad. And now we are traveling, two-man teams, usually all over the state of Arizona. Now, during this time, the TV show Chips became very popular. And if people don't know what Chips is, it was the adventures of two California Highway Patrol motorcycle officers, Ponch and John. And it was very popular. It was on NBC series, lasted for years. Um, very popular, especially with the young set, the 10-year-old boys, the girls, uh, the demographic, even going up to the ladies in the 60s because of the character uh, Ponch by Eric Estrada. The ladies loved them, that charismatic smile and so on. And as we started going to town, just like two-man teams, kind of like Chips, all of a sudden the kids are yelling at us, hey, Ponch, hey, John, hey, Chips. And all of a sudden the kids are very friendly and said, oh, here come the police, just because of that show. Now, I asked our commanders if we had a little downtime in these little towns, if we could go to the grade schools and talk about bicycle safety. And they said, yes, that'd be great PR. Well, we did that. The kids would care less about bicycle safety. They wanted to crawl over the motorcycles. But it was still great PR. It was a good relationship with these little towns and communities. In uh, 1978, we're patrolling an area in the Colorado River, Arizona, California border uh, called Parker, Arizona, population 2,000. But now it's spring break. 
it grows to almost 80,000 people because of the college kids. And again, this is a time of sex, drugs, rock and roll. We had so many fatal accidents, rapes, homicides, uh, you name it. And I got involved with a high-speed chase with a drunk driver, uh, 80 miles an hour in a 25 zone, when another drunk driver pulled right in front of me. I couldn't do what they call a break and escape maneuver, hit him broadside in 80. And I was told the crash was spectacular. Uh, I was pronounced dead at the scene. Well, you and I are talking right now, so there's the rest of the story. <laughs> My partner tried to revive me. Uh, he couldn't do it. He called in the code 963A, officer killed in the line of duty. Mm-hmm. An off-duty emergency room nurse from California stopped, identified herself, said, let me try and revive him. Said, he, we can't, he's, he's dead. Well, obviously she didn't listen to him, thank God. And for the next four minutes performed CPR and brought me back to life. Wow. Which is why we're talking. Now that, that accident resulted in uh, traumatic brain injury, skull fracture, broken bones, a lot of missing skin. And it, it took almost six months to recover from that accident. Uh, and I'm going through therapy, going to counseling. And at the end of the counseling session, to make sure my head was right to go back to work, um, the counselor said to me, Frank, you realize you died that night? Well, yeah, I don't think about it. Well, think about this. God spared you for a reason. And now it's up to you to find that reason. Mm-hmm. And every, every police officer ever worked with James, we believe in the higher being, no matter what the religion might be. We say a little prayer every they please allow me to come home. We get home at work. Thanks for allowing me to come home. Yeah. Two years later, in April of 1980, I'm patrolling up in the mountains of Arizona on the motorcycle. I get a call from a dispatcher saying, check out at a telephone. Uh, this is before the days of cell phones or anything. Mm-hmm. Still pay phones, days before internet. We have emergency traffic that does not involve your family. And um, just get to the nearest pay phone, which is 40 miles away. I call in and she says, a customs agent named Tom Austin has just called our department and advised of a seven-year-old boy named Chris. Chris's heroes are Ponch and John from the television show Chips. And he told his mother, when I grow up, I want to be a motorcycle officer, just like Ponch and John on Chips. And he said, is there any way that the Highway Patrol, because he knew several friends in the Highway Patrol, uh, could maybe have him meet one of the motor officers? and just spend some time with him because this little boy, unfortunately, had a couple of weeks to live. Wow. Well, our commanders got very involved in that, so that's why they called me and they said, we've arranged through his mother, through his doctor, that we can, in fact, go pick him up in a state police helicopter at his hospital. This little boy's on IVs, but well wow. enough to maybe spend a day with us and fly him to our headquarters, building. and we need you to get to Phoenix. We're going to time it as you're approaching the landing zone yeah. that the helicopter is going to be coming in. Because I had never met this little boy. I had no idea what to expect. And we worked it out just like that. As I'm pulling in the landing zone at our headquarters building, mm-hmm. the helicopter's approaching. All I see is his face plastered against <laughs> wow. the helicopter glass, looking out this great big grin on his face. I expected our paramedics to help him out. Yeah. He opens up, little red pair of sneakers, jumps out, runs over. Can I get on your motorcycle? Yes, you can, Chris. Now, he's just having a blast. Now, he had watched ships so much and backing up a little bit. We initially trained with California Highway Patrol up in Sacramento. Our equipment was identical. Our uniforms are almost identical, yeah. except ours, obviously, says Arizona. I had red hair. 
like the character John. I was very tan, like punch, so I could have been either one as far as he was concerned. <laughs> but this little boy is laughing and just giggling and having so much fun. This is a siren coming, turn it on. This is that. Of course, Chris. And I'm looking at his mom and she's crying. And I don't understand that. Why is she crying? Then it dawned on me, she has her seven-year-old back. Yeah. Not in IVs. He's not in a hospital bed. Mm-hmm. And we were allowed to take the, the children uh, a ride on our motorcycles in the parking lots. And I said, Chris, we're going to go for a ride on the motorcycle. He got very nervous. No, his voice shaking. Well, you just rode in a helicopter. And he looked at me very stern. He says, helicopters have doors. <laughs> we, learned, we learned that doors were very important to Chris. <laughs> just then one of our squad cars pulled up. I said, Sergeant, driving. And I said, well, would you like to help the sergeant drive his patrol car? He jumps in there, jumps on the lap. He's steering around the parking lot, red lights and siren. And he's blowing this big, giant bubble. He's chewing bubble gum. And I looked at his mother and I said, there's our bubble gum trooper. And she laughed. In fact, she wrote a book. I think it's still available on Amazon Day titled The Little Bubblegum Trooper. The Little Bubblegum Trooper. Wow. But Chris, Chris went on that day to become the first and only honorary Highway Patrol motorcycle officer then in the history of the Highway Patrol. So wait a minute. I want to I want to make sure that everybody's watching and listening kind of really has this in context. And so you get a you get a call and the call is about there's a seven year old kid and he has a uh, two weeks to live. And uh Everybody liked Chips, the, the picture Chips. It came on every week. And uh, Ponch and John. And uh, he really uh, wanted to be a highway patrol patrol officer. And he wanted to be Ponch and John. You know, we lived, we lived vicariously through those television heroes. Uh, back when I was a kid, there was Jim and Skip with Rescue 8. When I was very, very young, um, they were firemen. And I was, my best friend's name was Skip, and I was Jimmy. So we used to climb buildings and scare my mom to death. So I can relate to that. So the kid flies into the helicopter and, and uh, he's got these IVs and he's got his face pressed to the window. The door opens up and he runs out there and say, can I jump on your motorcycle? Then he's scared to death because there's no doors on the motorcycle. <laughs> right. And, uh, and he's chewing his bubble gum and he's driving a patrol car, right? He's on, on an officer's lap. Right. Okay. So now we kind of get in the picture as we go into, uh, as we're going to make a wish. So what happened after that, uh, Okay, he drove around, and, and then you then he was uh, made an honorary member of of uh, the patrol, correct? Yes. Now, okay. yeah, and, and he got the, he toured the headquarters building that day. In fact, that day he got his own badge that was assigned to him, still assigned to him today, the certificate making him an official police officer, mm-hmm. uh, smoky hat that the troopers wear. And he got to go home that night. The doctor was with him, said, I don't understand. His vitals are so good. Let him go home to his comfort zone. And they did go home that night. Now, we had felt good about what we did for this little boy. And one of the troopers said, you know, he doesn't have a uniform. A patrolman needs a uniform. So we went to the uh, uniform shop. They were custom made in those days. It's just closing time. We go in there and we say, we've got the seven-year-old boy. He's about this wide, this high. Can you make a uniform for him? Two ladies spent all night making a uniform for Chris. I got permission the next day to lead several uh, motorcycles and patrol cars out to his neighborhood, red lights and siren, to give him his uniform. He comes running out, just a big grin. We hand him his uniform. He's a quick change artist, comes out, just strutting, just strutting now. He's got his uniform on. Right. He comes over to me and asks if I can get on the motorcycle again. Well, yes, you can, Chris. Now, then he starts rubbing the wings that motorcycle officers wear in a uniform. And he said, I wish, first time I heard this word, I wish I could be a motorcycle officer. 
And I just started teasing him. And I said, well, this is the training we go through. If only you had a motorcycle, we'd set up traffic cones in your driveway and test you right now. This little kid's a step ahead of me. <laughs> he runs in the house and comes riding on a little battery-operated motorcycle that his mother got for him in place of a wheelchair. Wow. He goes through the cones. He comes back that I passed. Yes, you did, Chris. When do I get my wings? Well, those were custom-made also by a jeweler. I said, I promise you I'll get your wings. It'll take a day or two. Chris got to stay home again that night. I go to the jeweler, order the wings. A couple of days later, when I pick up the wings, I get a call from the dispatcher. Chris is in the hospital, in a coma, probably not going to survive the day. You're authorized to drive into Phoenix to go to the hospital. Wow. I go to the hospital. His uniform is hanging right by his bed. Just as I pin the wings on his uniform, Chris comes out of that coma. He wow. looks at me very weak with a weak smile. Am I a motorcycle officer now? Yes, you are, Chris. His wish had become true. He asked for his uniform. He rubs wings a little bit. He's showing his mother a little giggle, and he dies a couple hours later. Wow. And I think maybe those wings helped carry him to heaven. Yeah. Now, here's where we get into the starting of Make-A-Wish. Commanders came to me and said, we've lost a fellow officer. He's going to be buried in a little town called Kewanee, Illinois. I want you and your partner to go back and give him a full police funeral which we did. Now, this is before internet. The press but is picking this up, the local press in Phoenix. We didn't know the press and the TV stations in Chicago are waiting for us. They're following us up this long journey up to Kiwani. And Chris was buried in uniform. His grave marker reads, Chris Gracious, Arizona Trooper. But because of the press, when we arrived in this little town, we are met by Illinois State Police, City Police, County Police, who all wanted to help honor this fellow officer. Uh-huh. But flying home, I just started thinking, here's a boy who had a wish, and we made it happen. Why can't we do that for other children? Let them make a wish, and we'll make it happen. And that's when the idea of the foundation was born, maybe 36,000 feet over Kansas. But uh, when I got back to Arizona, I I went to several people that were involved with this, helping Chris become an officer. said, here's my idea. This is what I'd like to do, establish a nonprofit. Everybody told me it's a bad idea. It'll never work. Nobody had ever heard of anything like this. And that was the hardest part to stand this foundation. Number one on police officer, how do you start a nonprofit? Well, you go to the library. Anybody remember library cards? <laughs> you go through, you get all the information. And the hardest part, like I said, was finding other people. In Arizona, you had, had a total of five board members to start the foundation. That's for IRS rules. And I finally did find those fine people. And in November of 1980, we became official, uh, the Make-A-Wish Foundation. In March of 1981, we granted our first official wish, uh, a little boy, again, seven years old. We started this, James, with children with terminal illnesses. Uh, Leukemia was a death sentence. None of these children survived. Now, through the grace of God, modern medicine, uh, we changed the mission to children with life-threatening illnesses because more and more of these children, in fact, are surviving. Yes. But a little boy, he couldn't make up his mind, uh, and his name was Frank Bopsy Salazar, a little Hispanic boy. And he got a big kick out of his name, Frank, my name, Frank, because we're both Poncho in Spanish. That was my nickname my whole life, Poncho. So, uh, And I asked him what his wish was. That was his wish granter. And he said, and I was in a highway patrol car that I borrowed to go out and talk to him because it's one-on-one. We're not talking to the mom or dad and a single single uh, mom with him. Uh, and we're sitting in a patrol car, and I said, well, if you had something you wanted to have, see, do, be, and he said, I want to be a fireman. I said, wait a minute, you're sitting in a highway patrol car and you want to be a fireman? 
And that's the first giggle I got of this little boy. And he said, no, I want to ride in a hot air balloon. And I said, well, that's easy. I know people in, in my area that have a hot air balloon. The fireman, my girlfriend at the time, Kitty, who's now my wife, her brother was a Phoenix fireman. I know we could do that. He said, no, I want to go to Disneyland. And I thought, oops, we had never thought of a travel wish outside of the state of Arizona. Yeah. I said, okay, let me go talk to the people, see what we're going to do. I went to the board, and I was the first president CEO. And I said, I want to break our charter right away. The child only gets one wish. But I want to grant all three wishes, especially to Disney, because we're going to get so much press out of this, it's going to put us on the map nationwide. Well, they finally all agreed. Uh, he got to do the Phoenix fire thing. They even made the turnout coat, the helmet sliding down the pole. Uh -huh. This boy had so much fun riding on a ladder truck. The hot air balloon, the same thing. The Phoenix press is picking all us up. Uh, Disney, we, my wife, our kitty, my girlfriend at the time was our secretary, kept calling Disney Public Relations with the Make-A-Wish Foundation. We had this little boy uh, ill. Um, if he can get free admission, we're a nonprofit. If he can get in the front of the lines because he's very ill. Well, they kept hanging up on her. They wouldn't talk to her. And we found out later, Disney wasn't being rude. They get this request, bogus request all the time. Wow. And she said, I don't know what to do. I said, well, give me the number. Let me call. I call the secretary, uh, director of public relations. And I don't say this is Frank Shankless, president of the Make-A-Wish Foundation. I say, this is also Frank Shankless, Arizona Highway Patrol. And you can almost picture her sitting up a little bit straighter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she says, yes, sir, what, what is this about? That's why I need to talk to your director of public relations. Hey, hold on one second. We're going to call us for another commercial break. So you called her out and Disney said, this, you didn't say Frank Schenker was make a wish. She said, Frank Schenker was highway patrol. It made me stare. It made me shut up. We're going to take another <laughs> last commercial break. We're going to come right back and finish out the story. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Please join Dr. Sarah, a.k.a. Dr. Red, on an amazing journey of love, soul, abundance, compassion, and authenticity. Dr. Red is a well-renowned healer, hypnotherapist, author, and speaker who has overcome personal challenges to emerge stronger than ever before to reach out to you and heal you emotionally, mentally, and spiritually for the most informative and enriching experience filled with unbridled laughter and insights on life, health, culture, and society. Tune in to Dr. Red Set. Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Are you looking for life's answers? How about the meaning of true self? Can you really be a better person overnight? Well, good luck with that. Now, if you really want to know more about this insane world and life we lead, tune into Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. You'll learn about how the brain operates under different psychological conditions. Some common sense. Heck, you might just actually learn something. Listen Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You're tuned in to The James Stentley Show. We'd love to hear from you via email with questions and comments. Drop us a line to JD at thejamesdentleyshow.com. Again, that's JD at thejamesdentleyshow.com. Now, back to the show. 
Hey, welcome back. This is James Stanley here with Frank Shankowitz from Make-A-Wish Foundation. And right now I want to give you guys, I'll offer you a free gift. If you would go and text to 26786, text TLCVIP, TLCVIP at 26786. You're going to get a download a copy of my book, The Five Frequencies of High Performance. Next week, I'm going to be raffling it off to two people, an autographed book for Mr. Frank Shankowitz himself. I'm going to actually, our network will purchase that book and we're going to, raffle those off. And uh, we want to get everyone involved in nonprofits and giving and becoming uh, greater citizens. I believe the energy, the frequency we can create will permeate through our communities and through our cities and therefore through our nation. And then we touch a piece of the world as well. So Frank, I'm going to give it all to you, man. You got a 15 minute option. <laughs> we'll talk fast. We'll condense this. <laughs> all right. But anyhow, we're, we're talking about Disney that I identified myself as Frank Shankless, Officer Frank Shankless, Arizona Highway Patrol. I got the gentleman on the phone right away, and I said, I just lied to you. I said, I'm the president. I'm also an officer, but also the president and CEO of Make-A-Wish Foundation. And what if you, I just lied to you, and here's my name, here's my badge number, here's my supervisor's name and phone number. All you have to do is call him, and I will be terminated immediately. But will you please listen to my story? Well, he did listen to my story. And because of that, Bopsy Frank Salazar got to go to Disneyland. The press picked this all up. It opened up the door with Disney. And sometimes you got to lie, but qualify that lie right away. But because of that, all of a sudden we got nationwide press. And that's what made the Make-A-Wish Foundation grow immediately. Um, within two years, other states are calling, how do we get a chapter in our state? How do we get in another country? And it just exploded. And now Make-A-Wish Foundation. And James, I'm not part of the foundation anymore. It's a conflict of interest because of the movie that we did. Yeah. But um, we're now in 45 countries. Just imagine that on five continents. Uh, we are in 61 or 63 chapters in the United States. We have granted over a half a million wishes. Uh, fortunately, we have. And unfortunately, there were that many children that needed that. But we've impacted with that over 2 million people with the families. And a wish is granted somewhere in the United States every 38, or in the world, every 38 minutes. An unbelievable figure right there. And all because of one little boy who wanted to be a motorcycle officer. Yeah. Yeah. One little boy who had a dream and won his, his wish before he left this earth at seven years old, wanted to be a motorcycle officer. And because of that, he inspired and touched the hearts of men and women. And because of that, Make-A-Wish Foundation was started and over one half a million wishes and counting. Now, we met, we both, I know Nicholas, and you know Nicholas as well. Right. right. I can't hear you. Oh, yeah, I know Nicholas, yeah. Okay. Your voice, your sound was going in and out. So okay. when we met Nicholas, you didn't know him prior to that because there's so many children coming through the foundation. There's no way for you to know everybody. No, in fact, I had met him in Chicago at one of your events. And what a great meeting. And we became friends because of that. Yeah. Well, what a wonderful man, young man. You know, he, he just talks about you and getting a chance to meet with you was the thrill of his life. So what can you share with all of us about how at these times, how can we give back? What is the first step? How can we come together? What would be your thoughts? And what are you working on? Well, what um, after the release of the movie and because um, I'm no longer with Make-A-Wish and the board, and I never took a salary, by the way, to make a wish. Uh, every money we got went into 
into the foundation, into the mission and that. But now it's offered me to sit on several nonprofit boards throughout the United States and give me more of an opportunity to give back. And, and one right now, uh, very impacted is Project Kind out of New Jersey. And what Project Kind does is they, it's in the Newark area, Jersey City area, and they work with the homeless. They're finding the homeless people are trying to get them in a temporary shelter or even blankets, bedrolls, whatever it could be, getting them food, getting them whatever they can. And uh, Jennifer DePaul, who is the uh, president and CEO of that very, very young lady that's just full of energy. Uh, in fact, she flew out to Arizona to talk to me to help me set up this nonprofit. But that's what she's doing right now to give him back, especially right now. And she just we just put out a video yesterday. Uh, if you can't donate money, and so many people can't donate money right now, uh, losing jobs and that. But can you make 10 sandwiches? Yeah. 10 sandwiches and deliver to our area so we can pass them out to these homeless people that yeah. really need this. Uh, what a great thing. Um, um, level up homes in Seattle. When a when a foster child turns 18. They're removed from the system. In other words, they're kicked out. They're put on the street. They have nowhere to go. We're developing group homes for those children, as I call them, from 18 to 23, where they can still have a place to go, finish school, get into college, whatever it might be, but become that new adult. I love that term we learned up there. Uh, so they're not on the street, adding to the criminal or the homeless population. Yeah. Broadway, Broadway Hearts in New York City. Uh, I know several actors and actresses from the uh, Broadway shows, especially the Phantom of the Opera. And the one gal put together this Broadway Hearts where they go into the children's hospitals and entertain the kids and also develop scholarships uh, for those kids for the arts. Uh, U.S. Vets, uh, chapters all over the United States, is not part of the Veterans Administration. But um, we, we, have, we have a chapter here in my area. We find the homeless veterans. We get them in the consulate. We get them into job training, job placement, permanent housing. Uh, we just developed an 80, 80 is a medical center with 80 offices into studio apartments for these veterans. So this is all a giving back, all a helping out. And that's what people can do right now. It's just so simple. Look at your big corporations right now, James, what they're doing to help people out. Look at the airlines. A doctor needs to get from one coast to the other. It's free, free airfare. Get over here. The hotels for your first responders, for your medical staff, they need somewhere to rest for a little bit. They can't go home. Free rooms. Your big corporations. The guy that makes my pillow, <laughs> I can't think of his name, but he's making masks. He shut down his factory. He's making masks. Yeah, I mean, all these people helping out. And that's what you can do. Just help out. I was in a grocery store uh, recently, a, a lady that didn't have enough money to pay for the groceries. I was going to say, I can afford the $20. Well, somebody beat me to it. Hey, lady, in fact, let me pay the whole thing. Yeah. Just helping out. Lend it a little way you can. And, you know, I, you know, it, it just touches my heart. There's so many people out making masks and shields, and, and they're just trying to play their part. And, you know, uh, this has happened in the past. In World War II, uh, the nation had to come together. Uh, the men were gone. The women came together. and They created a movement uh, from that. And I'm so excited and looking forward to the movement that will come through uh, this world pandemic right now as we, are, we have to come together, guys. And, and it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. People would think that we're divided. But, you know, you may argue with your brother or sister, but when somebody messes with him, well, we all have to go fight. <laughs> yeah, and it's different. I mean, the whole nation came together during 9-11. 
But yep. this is completely different. And yep. you mentioned World War II. I was a World War II baby. I remember the rationing. Mm -hmm. I remember going with my dad up to the store and it, they didn't have butter, but they had what they call lard and they had a yellow dye and you mix it up and it's called oleo. <laughs> and you only got one of those like once every other week or something. Yeah. So I'm familiar with that. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. You know, I was talking, I was speaking with Michelle the other day and they're, they're launching a new initiative, uh, the Global Unity Foundation, a brand new nonprofit. And want to just change the scope of what they want to do. They asked me to be a part of their board. And I'm delighted to be able to be there on the ground to help them with some guidance. But we had you scheduled to be here on the 26th with Jeff Hoffman. And uh, right now we're social, socially um, separated. We have to be distant. But when the dust settles and we get, and maybe we may have to do it virtual. Uh, I was speaking with you before about uh, something we could probably put together with some other people who I just really want to play big with their dreams, their goals, and ambitions of, of how we can make a bigger difference together. So I'd like to try to put together a summit, and I'd definitely like to have you there. We're going to talk about that more and do a summit because we have to show other people with nonprofits different ideas and different ways of how to do it, how to raise their capital, or how to make an impact, even if they don't have the capital, but how to get the, the mission done because they're hurting out there, and so many people have a nonprofit. The nonprofit needs a nonprofit. <laughs> right, right. And it's very difficult right now for people to give monetary donations. But mm -hmm. a lot of people can give in-kind donations. A lot of these nonprofit needs equipment right now and so on. But uh, like the sandwiches, make 10 sandwiches and deliver them. I mean, what a simple concept. What a, peanut butter and jelly. A lot of people can do that. Yes. And, and with your son, I got a feeling that we are going to be in. I'm, I am going to be in Chicago in June. I got a feeling it's going to open up by then. Okay. And uh, I'm really looking forward to that. You've got a great group of uh, people surrounding you. Well, we're looking forward to it. And and hopefully we can do a private screening of Wishman. <laughs> you know what? That's the whole deal. You know, we have the business accelerator, you guys. And, and Frank Schenker, which was coming, is coming there. And we're going to have an executive luncheon, a very intimate luncheon. And we're going to really talk some high level, have high level conversations about things that we will do and, and, and create and create a plan of execution. So it won't just be rhetoric. It'll be planning and then bump measurable uh, executed things that we'll be doing moving out of there. And then that Friday, we were going to do another. Frank was going to speak again and we we're going to interview him again. And we're going to play his movie, Wishman. And, uh, we were scheduled for June 26th. I'm waiting for the hotels are closed until May. Until May, But I want to invite each and every one of you all to get there. He'll be there. And then Jeff Hoffman. I know, Frank, you know Jeff, right? Oh, yes. yes. Yeah. He's the former, the co-founder of Priceline.com. And when you go in the airports, all those little kiosks where you get your boarding passes, he created that. So that and his life was about giving back and making a difference. And even teaching entrepreneurs to grow and to scale, which is the name of his book. And even people in prison, how to learn tech, yeah, because you can lock up the body, but the mind is what's creating the future. And you can do that from anywhere. So to have these two powerful men there, uh, June 26th at the old McDonald University uh, Conference Center is going to be powerful. So you have any, uh, like, how can we go get the book? How can they get your book and how can they get the movie right now? Uh, the movie is now on Netflix. We finished our theatrical release and we're now, we started in June. I'm sorry, January this year on Netflix. It's only supposed to run six weeks. Uh, we've just been extended on Netflix for three years, James. It mm -hmm. is so popular, getting so, so many good reviews in that. 
And in fact, the movie, this is a, a low budget independent movie. Um, and we were so honored that we qualified for an Academy Award Best Picture. Wow. <laughs> we were we were with the big boys. Now, we knew we weren't going to win. <laughs> but just to be included with the big boys, to get that nomination is just unbelievable. So it is available on Netflix. You can also go for the book because the book inspired the movie. Uh, I remember the movie is based on a true story. The true story is the book. But you can go to my website. Wishman1, the number one, wishman1.com. And you can order an autographed copy of either the book or the movie or both through there. Uh, they're both available on Amazon for a regular purchase. Or you can contact me also on Facebook, a private message on Facebook on information how to purchase the book or the movie for an autographed copy. Okay. We're going to type in the feed, Wishman1, Wishman1, that's www.wishman1. And you can get the book and the movie. You go watch the movie on Netflix. It's a great movie, guys. I promise you, you won't be disappointed. Matter of fact, uh, we want to have a follow-up. And I'd like you all to watch the movie and then tell me about how you like the movie. And we're going to get more people to watch the movie. But get the book because it inspired. Because a life worth living is worth recording and sharing. Yeah. So we got another minute, my friend. Any final thoughts, you would, you would uh, nuggets you'd like to give us? Again, Everybody, if you can, just help somebody out. Again, the message of the movie, everyone can be a hero. If somebody needs help, try and help them. Simple as that. Everyone can be a hero. That means you are a hero. There's a hero inside of you. I think Whitney Houston sung about that as well, when a hero comes along. So, Frank, I want to thank you, man, for coming again. I look forward to us having a June. We're going to claim it. As long as it's safe, uh, we're definitely going to, going to be together. If, if anything else, we may have to do something virtually. But I want to thank you for uh, just sharing your life, your story, um, your experiences with us. You inspire. All right, James. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. Ladies and gentlemen, Frank Shankowitz, uh, founder of uh, Make-A-Wish Foundation. Over 500 million wishes have been granted all over the world. And that's something special. And it started from a young man that's on a, a motorcycle, on a patrolman, broke, broken home challenges. But you know what? Um, God meets you. He meets you and puts people in your life. So I want everyone to think about the things you've been through. And today, this is Friday. So let us be thankful and let's live with gratitude today. I want everyone to do me a huge favor. You know, get the book, The Wish Man. Uh, go watch the movie on Netflix. It's a great movie. You're going to love it. It has every element in it. I went to the premiere, my Kara and I, and I was pleasantly surprised. They were nominated for Best Picture and uh, they were up for Best Picture in the Academy Awards. And it was and it was a low budget film. It was done so well. And a lot of people that I know that were involved in the production of that movie as well. And that's one of the reasons I want to have Frank here because he's such a dear man. And yes, I get a chance to, I wear that cowboy hat. So when he came on, I don't know if Frank's still with us, but the first thing I thought about the moment this is over, I'm going online and ordering me a cowboy hat. <laughs> He's still there. There you go. Still there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. So look, that's going to be our show, guys. Uh, let's tune back in next week where we're going to have Mr. Jeff Hoffman, co-founder of Priceline Franks. I want to thank you again and thank each and every one of you all for joining us today. And until next Friday, remember, we don't think outside the box because in our world, in this world, in our world, there is no box. I want to thank you guys for joining us. We'll talk to you next Friday. 
Thank you for listening to The James Dentley Show. Be sure to join James for another inspiring show next Friday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll see you here next week.